MSW Media. Today's episode of The Daily Beans is brought to you by our patrons. Our premium subscribers make the show possible, and in return, they get an ad-free feed, access to my personal show notes, the photos submitted in the good news, VIP meet-and-greet and pre-sale event tickets, invites to our private social media groups, and access to bonus content. Become a patron today at patreon.com slash thedailybeans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Friday, November 4th, 2022. Today, the Department of Justice is weighing appointing a special counsel as it staffs up to prep for possible indictments of Donald Trump after the midterm elections. The January 6th committee has informed Mark Meadows that they now expect his phone records and testimony since a judge dismissed his lawsuit blocking them. The Department of Justice has rested its case in the Oath Keepers trial. Trump has filed a lawsuit against Tish James, and today Judge Engeron granted her motion for a preliminary injunction and installed a fiscal babysitter at the Trump Organization. The FBI issues a warning about credible threats to synagogues in New Jersey, and the Truth Social DWAC has postponed its shareholder vote again. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Welcome back from your travels, my friend. Thank you, AG. I did a really fun comedy project for the Gill Foundation based out of Denver, but is a national organization. So I may even be able to share that with you all in December, but it was a good time. So thank you for giving me the two days off. Oh, I can't wait to see it. That's good. The Gill Foundation, excellently named foundation. Yes. Yep. Tim Gill is a mensch. He's a, he's just a, a really good guy that's spreading his wealth around the country, doing amazing things for different organizations and grantees. Yep. And no relation, no relation to no. me, Allison Gill. But what a great last name. And what an, what an amazing cause. I'm so, I'm so proud of you doing this work, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. A couple of uh, news stories before we get into the regular old hot notes. The Department of Justice has rested its case in the Oath Keepers trial, and they did it in a very dramatic fashion. They played an audio recording of Stuart Rhodes saying, I want to hang Pelosi by a lamppost. And as soon as that stopped, you could hear, according to Glenn Kirshner, who was in the room, you could hear a pin drop particularly given what's been going on in, in, you know, with, with all the violence, with all the domestic terrorism. And I just had to insert that first headline that the Department of Justice is weighing appointing a special counsel for Trump and his two criminal, two criminal investigations. Here is the exclusive. I got this from Ryan Goodman. It's from Evan Perez and Caitlin Polance, Jeremy Herb at CNN. They say, Dana, as Donald Trump is closer to launching another presidential run after the midterm election, Justice Department officials have discussed whether a Trump candidacy would create the need for a special counsel to oversee the two sprawling federal investigations related to Donald. And that's according to sources familiar. And they go on to say that the Justice Department is also staffing up its investigations with experienced trial prosecutors. So it's ready for any decisions after the midterms, including the potential unprecedented move of indicting a former president. Sounds good to me. Yeah, I know. This is like the like the DOJ is edging us. I'm, I'm justice is tantric. I'm sure of it. But this is like the closest I feel like we've we've ever come. And so I'm going to go over that in more detail on this weekend's bonus content episode for our patrons, for the Daily Beans patrons, Leguminati. So you can look for that. I'll have thoughts and feelings. I've been wanting a special counsel for a very long time. 
I guess until now, Merrick Garland hasn't felt the need to, you know, keep that political arm's length since Donald had not put his hat in the ring to run for president yet. But we'll, you know, we'll see. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. But the thing I love about a special counsel, and there's there's a million, and I'll go over them this weekend, but one of the big ones, Dana, is that if the Department of Justice, if the special counsel decides not to prosecute Trump for some reason, they have to tell us. Yes, which is good. That's called a declination. And under the special counsel regs, you have to explain your declinations to prosecute to Congress, which it means to us. And and so I I like that because otherwise they might never say whether they decline to prosecute him or if we're just waiting forever like a Matt Gates situation. Right. Absolutely. So with that out of the way, that breaking news. Oh, and a little other quick breaking news. Mike Lindell lost his case. He wanted to get the affidavit behind the search warrant for his phone. Remember when they got his phone at a Hardee's? I did. Yep, I do. And the judge said, no, you can't have it. He's like, no, no, sorry. And you can't. I'm not also declining your motion for a stay. That's denied. And he also said, fuck, he said that Lindell's affidavit to get his phone was 80 pages long. Wow. The Donald Trump Mar-a-Lago top secret fucking classified documents affidavit was 40 pages long. (laughs) (laughs) What's in this affidavit? Oh, my God. And one tiny note of good news in this segment, as opposed to later. And I know that you would agree that uh, Paul Pelosi has been released from the hospital. Um, So we should that there's a piece of good news at the top of the show that we just want to slip in there so that the listeners who are not paying too close of attention. Uh, know that for those people who have been taking a day to breathe. So he has been released from the hospital. Oh, that is such good news because I've been trying to find more information on his condition and I haven't been able to. And that, that just I have such a huge sigh of relief. And um, Indeed. Just all of my love to his family and friends and acquaintances, everybody. And, and I'm sure the country, like you said, is just ah, exhaling. So thank you for that, that information. And now we will hit the hot notes. Hot notes. The script as it was before five minutes ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to kick this off with so much has happened with the New York Attorney General's civil case in the last 24 hours since we last spoke on the beans. Allow me to catch you up. So if you listen to the beans yesterday, you'll recall I reported a story that Hillary et al., which is pretty much everybody in Washington, D.C., filed a motion for sanctions against Donald Trump and Alina Haba for their absolutely ridiculous lawsuit against her and everyone else in in D.C., you know, like the oars and like everyone involved in the Russia investigation. He alleged it was a, a RICO racketeering Russia hoax and, and it was just a bunch of bullshit and it was a waste of the court's time. So now they've filed sanctions. They filed a motion for sanctions. And he and Alina Haba are looking at a million dollars plus in legal fees and sanctions for that frivolous lawsuit. Well, that we remember. But last night, right after that lawsuit was filed, Donald announced he was going to sue the New York attorney general. And of course, his lawsuit against the New York attorney general looked just as idiotic as the one against Hillary Clinton. I tweeted, perhaps he had not yet heard that he and his lawyers were facing sanctions and and fees out the wazoo. (laughs) And well, this morning, the New York Times had this report, a tirade of a lawsuit that Donald Trump filed on Wednesday night against one of his chief antagonists, Hillary Clinton, was hotly opposed by several of his longstanding legal advisors who attempted an intervention hours before he filed it. Those opposed to the suit told the Florida attorneys who drafted it it was frivolous and would fail, according to people with knowledge of the matter. 
So it, it turns out, Dana, it was Chris Kyes and Alan Garten, who's general counsel at the Trump Organization, who tried to stage an intervention against the one and only Boris Epstein. Uh, but Trump and Epstein ultimately won the day and filed the suit anyhow, not only subjecting themselves to more sanctions and fines, but Chris Kyes had to go in and argue on behalf of Trump in the Trump org case this morning. Because Tish James, as you know, filed a motion for a preliminary injunction to install a financial monitor because she had evidence that Donald and the Trump organization are still criming while her civil suit is pending. Remember, he created a new org called the Trump Organization 2, which is hilarious. A way to hide your assets in something called the Trump Organization 2. And he was moving assets to hide them from the civil suit. Right. So that's what's happening there in a statement. Donald has called the judge who 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 will be overseeing the civil suit uh, a puppet. So that's always advice. Yeah, oh, that's always a good way to start. Absolutely. And Kai has told Trump, if you sue Tish James, you're going to fuck up our hearing tomorrow and make us look bad. And sure enough, he was right. This is from Law and Crime. The Trump Organization's attorney faced a persistent grilling on Thursday morning from a judge who seemed skeptical of his arguments why the company's allegedly wild asset inflation Do not call for a court-appointed monitor. Later on in the day, the judge confirmed he was indeed appointing an independent monitor. In doing so, Manhattan Supreme Court's Justice Arthur Engeron also noted that he drew a negative inference from Donald Trump invoking his the Fifth Amendment more than 400 times. Remember how we talked about it can keep you out of jail, but in a civil case, people can draw a negative inference from it? Yep. Guess what? (laughs) They did. He is going to be so unhinged at his rally tonight, and uh, I am here for it. Oh, God, he's going to spew so much bullshit. All right, moving on. Digital World Acquisition Corp., which (laughs) happens to be DWAC, that's the special purpose acquisition company attempting to merge with Donald's Twitter clone, Truth Social. Well, they announced Thursday that it has postponed a critical shareholder vote for the sixth time ahead of a mandatory liquidation date of December 8th. In a call with investors, Patrick Orlando, who is the chairman and CEO of the deeply struggling shell company, announced that DWAC was going to reconvene on November 22nd. It was an ominous sign that Digital World had failed to receive authorization from 65% of its shareholders to continue the company's (laughs) existence, despite months of trying to get them to do this. Now, under the terms, the DWAC's incorporation, the company was supposed to merge with a private firm within one year's time or dissolve and reimburse its investors at a rate of about $10 a share. Liquidation appears more likely to be DWAC's fate, as Trump himself appears increasingly uninterested in the company or its shareholders <laughs> as it has struggled to defend itself from a criminal investigation that executives engaged in prohibiting insider trading and a separate inquiry from the Securities and Exchange Commission about allegations of illegal contact between DWAC officers and the leadership of Trump Media and Technology Group, which is TMTG. So Trump apparently isn't even interested in this himself. They might as well call the company Barron. Um, this ah. is- <laughs> <laughs> Tiffany. <laughs> Tiffany Barron. Uh, they just call it TB at this point. Now, the disgraced ex-president hasn't said a word to his supporters to encourage those who own the stock to prolong DWAC's existence. 
New documents released by William Wilkerson, a former TMTG executive, indicate that Trump has been exploring merging with other right-wing technology companies instead, including Rumble, which is a video hosting platform, which recently completed a merger similar to the one that DWAC and TMTG have been attempting. Another potential target listed was Parler. Now it's probably going to come after Twitter now that Musk is in. Yeah. Eh. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right. I have another story here today, and this one's tough. I'm going to give a content warning for this story. The FBI in Newark, New Jersey, said Thursday afternoon it has received credible information of a broad threat to synagogues in the state, according to a tweet from the office. Quote, we ask at this time that you take all security precautions to protect your community and facility. We will share more information as soon as we can. Stay alert in case of emergency. Call police. In a second tweet, the agency said it was taking a proactive measure with that warning while investigative processes are carried out. New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy said he is in touch with the FBI, the state's Office of Homeland Security and Preparedness, and the state attorney general. He says we are closely monitoring the situation and we're working with local law enforcement to ensure that all houses of worship are protected. The New York Police Department also said Thursday its intelligence and counterterrorism bureaus were working with the Joint Terrorism Task Force and the FBI to ensure the safety and well-being of every area that encompasses our Jewish citizens and synagogues here in New York City and the tri-state area. New York Governor Kathy Hochul clarified there was no related threat in New York, but that officials were continuing to monitor the situation. Quote, hatred, threats or violence toward Jewish communities is unacceptable. We will always stand with our Jewish neighbors. That's what Hochul said on Twitter. The FBI's warning on Thursday comes amid continued reports across the country of anti-Jewish bigotry, including multiple anti-Semitic messages that appeared in public spaces in Jacksonville, Florida over the weekend that were not denounced by DeSantis, and a group of demonstrators who hung banners over a Los Angeles freeway in early October, showing support for anti-Semitic comments that were made by Kanye West. Photos also showed the group with their arms raised in what appeared to be a Nazi salute, and that's Los Angeles officials condemning the incident. West, Kanye, Yi, Ye, whatever, previously made a series of anti-Semitic outbursts, notably on October 8th, when he tweeted he was going death con three on Jewish people. And also that you guys have toyed with me and tried to blackball anyone who ever opposes your agenda without specifying which group he was addressing. But we all knew. And that's according to the Internet Archive's Wayback Machine records pulled by CNN. His tweet was removed and Twitter locked his account. In an interview conducted after the controversial tweet, West told Piers Morgan he was sorry for the people that he hurt, but he said he didn't regret making the remark, which does not sound like an apology to me. He has since lost pretty much every single endorsement that he had. Thank goodness. And I just want to say this. I'm not comparing anti-Semitism necessarily to racism, but when we talk about not being racist, we also talk about being anti-racist. If you have an opportunity to speak out against anti-Semitism, I ask you to do that. Don't just stay silent. Don't just not echo those same sentiments. Really speak out against them if you can and you feel safe. And please be vigilant um, out there. Please, please, especially during this time. Like those folks in the cafe in New York when that guy walked in dressed like a Nazi, they just, they bounced him out of there immediately. Yeah, absolutely. What the fuck is your problem? Get the fuck out. That we have, that's what we have to do. That's what you have to do. Yes. Thank you for reporting that story, A.G. And last, a federal judge on Monday night dismissed the challenge from former Trump White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows. 
what he brought to the House January 6th Select Committee subpoena. U.S. District Judge Carl Nichols wrote that the Constitution's speech or debate clause, which shields legislators from being targeted by certain legal actions and circumstances tied to their legislative duties, shielded the Select Committee from Meadows' lawsuit. Sorry. And I love this because, you know, Lindsey Graham couldn't state, couldn't use the speech or debate clause to get out of testifying in front of the Fulton County Grand Jury. And Mark Meadows can't get out of testifying in front of the committee because the committee retains the speech or debate clause. I mean, it is a beautiful thing. And this is a quote from Nichols, OK, from the judge at this at the time it issued the subpoena to Meadows. The Select Committee had evidence that Meadows was in contact with President Trump on January 6th and participated in efforts to challenge the election results. That's from the judge. He went on to say Meadows is therefore a proper subject of the select committee's investigation, and the court cannot say that the committee's demands for his testimony, documents, and cell phone records are irrelevant to its investigative task. Now, Meadows can appeal the ruling, of course, but the 1-6 committee has informed Mark Meadows' attorney that, that they intend to enforce the subpoena for the rest of his phone records. And his testimony, now that his suit has been dismissed, a lawyer for Meadows wrote to the court, and this is what they said, Verizon Wireless further informed me that the select committee was seeking their immediate compliance with the subpoena issued on November 22nd, 2021 for Mr. Meadows' personal call and text records. And that's what they call the Verizon subpoena. Now, Verizon Wireless further conveyed their understanding of the select committee's position that the select committee would insist on prompt compliance unless... And until Mr. Meadows has sought and obtained a stay or injunction pending further proceedings, <laughs> they might get they might get these phone records from Verizon. Verizon might be like, "Yeah, we're handing them over until we get unless you give us an injunction." I don't. They might send them over without waiting. It'd be interesting. I mean, that would be amazing. It'd be nice if something was easy. And Meadows immediately filed a motion for reconsideration and a stay pending that appeal. Now, it's actually a pretty well written motion, and I imagine this is going to go fast because of the congressional deadline. Now, I think he might get temporary stay, AG, but probably won't get an injunction based on harm or a win on the merits or anything like that. So don't get mad if you see the inevitable, quote, judge blocks one six committee from getting Meadows' records, you know, because it's probably just a temporary stay pending further fast review, like we saw, like with Lindsey Graham, like you said earlier, and Kelly Ward. Yeah. Yep. Thank you. Thank you for that. And, um, that, them's the hot notes, my friends. That's a lot of news. For that was day. my good, and I, it's not even all of it. I, I, who knows what's going to break by the time we edit this thing? I know. I, actually, let me hear. Let me just check real quick. No, I don't. I don't. I don't think anything else. Good. Uh, I don't see anything else coming across. But we will be right back with the executive director of Alliance for Youth Action, Dakota Hall. Absolutely incredible human person. Stay with us. You do not want to miss this interview. After these messages, we'll be right. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and I just wanted to take a second to thank our patrons and tell you about a new weekly wrap-up bonus episode that I'll be recording, a full bonus episode that comes out on the weekends, and it'll be for patrons. I know a lot of people have said, man, I miss my beans on the weekends. Well, now we're going to have a weekly wrap-up episode. And for as little as three bucks a month, patrons get the ad-free premium feed. They get access to the new weekend Daily Beans weekly wrap-up episode pre-sale tickets for live shows, invites to meetups and meet and greets with the hosts, uh, access to our private social media groups. You get links to our bi-monthly happy hour Q&A on Zoom, plus a whole host of merch, including stickers, mugs, and t-shirts for signing up. 
And if you can't afford a membership, we have had over a thousand patrons donate a one-year subscription to those who can't swing it. For just 36 bucks a year, you can donate a premium feed to someone in need. And you can also sign up for that program if you want to get on the list to receive one. Or if you want to donate one, just do that at dailybeanspod.com and look for patrons helping patrons. For more information on becoming a premium subscriber, head to patreon.com slash thedailybeans or search for us on Supercast. And thanks so much to all those who make the show possible. Hi, everybody. It's AG from The Daily Beans. Hey, this is Kimberly Johnson, host of the Start Me Up podcast. Hi, it's Frangela from The Final Word and Idiot of the Week podcast. Hi, this is Jody Hamilton of the From the Bunker podcast. Hi, it's Mariah and Steve from, from How, How We, we Win. Win. And we are joining forces to support the How We Win Fund. The midterms are coming and the best way we can fight back against the Republicans is to support Democrats in key battleground states. Our democracy is under attack, but we don't agonize. We, we organize. organize. Yes, we do. Together, we can protect and expand our Democratic majority this November. We are so close to a Cinna mansion-proof majority in the Senate. Take them out. Join the MSW Media family of podcasts and support the races that need us the most by donating to Swing Left's National Impact Fund. Just one donation goes directly to all of Swing Left's top races. A GOP stoking hate, peddling lies, and suppressing our vote means we need everyone to step up to protect voting rights, civil rights, abortion rights, the environment, constitutional gender equality, the government, our institutions, all the things. Do it. We beat Trumpism before, and together we will make history again. So go to swingleft.org slash fundraise slash how we win to donate what you can, share this with your friends and family, and let's show the GOP that the grassroots persistence is here to stay. This This is How We Win. win. Everybody, welcome back with just days to go before the midterm elections. I'm excited today to speak to the executive director of Alliance for Youth Action. Please welcome Dakota Hall. Hi, Dakota. Thank you so much for having me on and wanting to know more about the youth vote and how young people um, are going to be the superheroes of democracy this year and ensure that they are turning in their ballots, going to the polling location on Election Day and really showing the power that young people have in our country right now. Yeah, and Dakota, probably not just this election, probably many elections to come. Uh, I'm so excited to talk to you about this because we've had a lot of of youth, GOTV, get out the vote folks on in the past week or so, because for me, that is where our focus should be. I think it is the most important and influential voting block in this election and in elections to come. Talk a little bit about what your organization does and how you became the executive director. Yeah, let me actually start with how I became the executive director of the Alliance. And this all starts when I joined the network in 2017, when I founded an organization called Leaders Igniting Transformation, otherwise known as LIT, in Wisconsin. And the mission of that organization to this day is still to engage young people to address racial disparities and engage them through understanding a three-pronged strategy of organizing. That begins with base building, includes advocacy and issues, as well as then taking those issues to the ballot box and ensure that young people are electing champions that are going to represent them. And so through that experience of um, being the founding executive director uh, in Wisconsin for four years, 
last year around this time became the executive director for the Alliance for Youth Action. And now I get to help lead a network of 20 organizations in 18 different states doing very similar things to the organization I founded in Wisconsin. And I love this job so much is because we believe that power is built locally, right? And while we can all turn on the news every single night and see the disorganized mess known as Congress, young people have been able to make significant changes locally and really fight for their values, for their democracy and their country at levels like school board, levels like city council. And so I think what we're really doing here is creating lifelong civic learners, right? And, and people who are going to be engaged civically and necessarily not saying that we're ignoring the federal elections because those are important as well, too. But understanding that that is so much of a mess that we're giving young people tangible victories on the local level. So that way they're not just running into no, we can't do this because X senator in West Virginia or X senator in Arizona doesn't agree with us. So I, I really, I really love how, we, how we've been able to activate thousands of young people, tens of thousands of young people in the last few years who are tired of the incrementalism in this country to see big, bold change that we are promised. Yeah, I like to call it trickle up politics. It, it starts at the local level. It starts with things like school board, water board, city council, moves up to state uh, legislatures and assemblies. And, and, you know, if we're driven to the ballot for local issues where, where the rubber meets the road, where when the federal money comes in, the people who decide how it's spent are elected, then it goes up the ballot to the to the national elections. You know, it's 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 a, a more organic way, I think, of, of engaging, particularly, you, you know, especially youth, young voters who, who are like, well, how does this impact me today here where I live? Right. So I'm, I'm really excited about about this work you're doing and, and all of these different organizations that are part of your directorship. Talk a little bit about some of the practical things, you know, at, you know, you're you're over like these 20 different organizations, some of these practical things that are are being done in localities and and are there you know do you use data to target like more specific localities that may be in more need of attention for example yeah we've built out a data infrastructure in our network that really allows local organizers to um, identify the hardest to reach voters right um, and really make sure that we're engaging them every single day not just for the election as well too because I think that when, when I think of like what's practical, like it's, it's more practical in my head to engage somebody in February and build them into an organizing system than attempting to try to reach them in October um, for the first time and then, and then they go out and vote, right? And so what we've been able to do is really build a year-round organizing mechanism that sees young people in civic engagement every single day, right? So it's not just their first time hearing from us is like, go out to vote. It's, hey, let's come come talk to this city council person. Come show up to testify here for the city budget. Um, actually, we're going to go do a lobby day at the state because we want to see more funding into affordable housing um, invested in there. So it's been really incredible to, to build out this infrastructure. Um, and the data there is, is really being able to show and identify who are going to be the young people that are the hardest to reach, right, um, who have been marginalized uh, in our system, who have been told democracy does not work for them who has seen democracy not work for them, who may have a relative family member um, who is unable to vote because um, we have such a high mass incarceration problem in this country. And so what I really equate this all down to, learning about like where young people are in the state of democracy and like what we need to do is we need to engage them daily and not just pop up at their university in late September talking about voting 
you really have to get them well before that. You have to build a community for them. You have to understand the social issues that um, are impacting them. So that way, then they can find a community for themselves. Um, and a political home is what I think we really have with our 20 organizations. Yeah. And I think what's excellent is that it's not just some sort of like abstract work product, you know, buzzword synergy type situation. You have like a full 40 page action plan with phases and process summaries and achievable goals and and, and mission and vision, strategic tools. And I think that that's something that a lot of, you know, organizations tend to miss is, is how to practically apply what you're talking about down to the ground level. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and you know, um, what you're talking about is our strategic plan that really outlines how for the next five years we're going to build youth power. And, you know, the, the, the quick and dirty summary of it is we're going to listen to what young people need locally and build organizations around that and support young leaders to take up the mantle of being an executive director for being a program director and doing that year round support, right? Making sure that they're not feeling like they're on an island, breaking down some of the barriers of political jargon and political circles that otherwise young people don't get into and make democracy accessible, right? And that's one of the reasons that one of the campaigns we launched this year is our democracy debut campaign to ensure that we are highlighting and uplifting the fact that there are more than 8 million young people this year who are eligible to vote that were not eligible the last uh, major election. And so what does that mean for us? That means that there's 8 million new opportunities to engage young people um, who are coming into our democracy. Almost half of those 8 million people are are young people of color, further showing that like the Gen Z electorate is one of the most diverse electorates in our country's history. And so for us, the Democracy Debut Campaign is really to celebrate the fact that I think this is the most civically engaged generation we've had in a, in a while, right? And we want to roll up the red carpet to ensure that these young people are being greeted with an accessible, multiracial democracy that works for everybody, that ensures that we're not um, talking about election uh, fraud and taking over the Capitol based off of misinformation and disinformation, but ensuring that young people have the knowledge of what their power can do for this country. Yeah, I think that's I think that's really uh, I mean, it just hits the nail right on the head with, you know, especially with what you said in the beginning, you know, finding out what it is that that young people are interested in and like meeting them where they are. You know, I just had a discussion with the director of the API Victory Fund, and it mm. was the same thing because there's just a huge gap in a lot of, of data for the API community. And they were like, well, we have to find we have to go and, and get this and and fill this gap and find out where the needs are and, and try to meet them. And so I, I think that that's just truly incredible work that you're doing. And I, I looked through the strategic plan and it's it's so impressive and so amazing the work that you all are doing. Let's talk a little bit about this election before I let you go. What are you seeing in the trends with the youth turnout for this election? I've got some, you know, from the people that I know that are that are in the data are showing some really positive numbers, much unlike what I'm hearing on the mainstream media. They seem to be downplaying the role of the youth vote and the Democratic turnout this year. Yeah, I mean, some context is in 2018, young people had their largest turnout in a midterm um, in history. In 2020, again, the largest youth voter turnout for a presidential election. And I don't see any reason why that trend will not continue to move forward, right? Like the early data shows us that young people are taking advantage of absentee voting, whether it be a male or in person. And we're only seeing energy continue to rise across campuses and and communities and high schools across this country as we are just days away from knowing um, the outcomes of these elections. 
And so I am super excited where we're at for the 2022 midterm election, because I think young people are understanding that their vote has an impact on this country. When I think about swing states like Wisconsin, where young people um, and their youth electoral significance is going to be incredibly high, right? Like if young people come out and vote, that changes the election. Places like Arizona are impacted, Florida, right? And I think that's part of the reason why you've seen over the last 10 years some pretty coordinated and concentrated efforts to suppress the youth vote and make it harder for young people, especially college students, to turn out the vote with archaic voter ID laws being implemented in places like Wisconsin. We see that these are being targeted towards elderly folks, communities of color, young people, because they understand that those people have an accessible multiracial democracy that those who are currently in power in these states may end up losing, right? And so I think young people, especially since 2018, um, have understood that they can actually change elections, right? Not just federal elections, but local elections too, right? Across the country, young people have run for school board. And we have some of the most amazing, dynamic young leaders in the country now running for office who are 18, 19, 20 years old. Um, And that is so amazing for this country to see this Gen Z generation step up and say, we want elected officials. Because I think the narrative, since at least I've been at voting age, is that young people are apathetic towards voting and they're not civically engaged. And for the last two major federal elections, we proved that wrong, that we are coming out in record numbers at record numbers higher than any generation before us. And so it's, it's always interesting when I hear somebody say, oh, young people don't care. And it's just like, well, did you care as a young person? Because I think some people sometimes forget that they were young. And what we're proving is that young people turn out and vote. And I think across our 18 states that we work in, we're going to see some pretty some pretty drastic youth vote numbers. And I think that energy will continue after the election, too, which is the most important thing. Yeah. And I, I remember I was Gen X. My first election, presidential election, was Bill Clinton in 1992. And they had so little faith in us that they started this whole thing called Rock the Vote, you know, to, to engage youth voters. And we, we turned mm. up, but not like Gen Z is turning up. But we're also a pretty small generation. But uh, I got a, I got a you know, hot tip to you and on all the work that you're doing. Can you tell people where they can find, follow and support you? Yeah. So people can check us out at the Alliance for Youth Action dot org. On that website, you'll find our socials. You'll find a donate button. You also find some vote ready materials. Like if you have a young person in your life, send them that website. That way then they can get equipped with the toolbox necessary to go out and vote. Understand the resources out there, understand what they need to vote in their different states. Because at the end of the day, our democracy is going to work better if more people are involved. And what we're trying to build here is a multiracial democracy that is led by young people and and reimagining what democracy means and how everyone can get involved. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time today. It's been really great to meet you and talk to you. Executive Director of Alliance for Youth Action, Dakota Hall. I appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for having me on. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hi, I'm Frances Callier. And I'm Angela V. Shelton. And we're Frangela. You know what you need in your life? Hmm. The Final Word Podcast. Yes, you do. That's right. It is the final word on all things political and pop cultural. Where we make real news real funny. Where we inspire you so you can hashtag resist. Subscribe and get a new episode of The Final Word Podcast each week. It's the news we think you need to hear. That's right. We think you need to hear it. Okay? Yeah, it's what we say so. That's right. And because all we do is give, every Thursday you can listen to our hysterical podcast, Idiot of the Week. We round up the stupid because you know what? Somebody has to. Okay. All we do is give.
Are you struggling with the political upheaval of the current moment? Maybe you're trying to figure out how to keep going and fight for a better world. Well, starting in October, we're bringing you a brand new podcast made for the here and now. It's called Living Through It with ECM, a podcast for interesting times. Hosted by me, Elizabeth Cronice McLaughlin, a renowned activist and leadership expert, Living Through It hosts weekly interviews with guests who are changing the world from the ground up. We're offering you advice on how to continue working toward a better future in the face of burnout and exhaustion. And our aim is to inspire you, create hope, and share a collective vision for a more just and equitable future. I hope you'll join us on Living Through It with ECM, a podcast for interesting times. Men cannot know the anguish of being ruled ineligible on anatomical grounds beyond one's control. Slaves can perhaps understand eunuchs, too, and perhaps even those doomed nobles like the deposed Emperor Romanos Diogenes, whose eyes have been put out. But not men. This podcast is brought to you by Empress, The Secret History of Anna Kay, the new book by Greg Oliar, now available on Amazon. If the truth is ever to be told, I am the only one left to tell it, and tell it I must. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Who likes good news, everyone? Then good news, everyone. Good news, good news. And if you have any good news, corrections, confessions, Halloween photos, now's the time. Holiday photos from years past. If you have a whoopee story, a shout out, somebody that you love in your life. If you're making something or creating something and you want us to give your business a shout out, let us know. Anything you want to send us, you can do it at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. Make sure you're registered to vote and you have your plan. I voted. Did you vote, Dana? I voted already. I voted. We are early voters. Mm hmm. Yet they send it to us in the mail with a book with all of the, you know, stuff describing all of the the measures. I also like to Google like who's funding ads against some of the measures because I, where the money comes from tells me a lot. Definitely. But uh, abortions on the ballot in, in California. So I was very proud to cast my ballot this time. All right. First up from Bree, new to Daily Beans and loving it. Awesome. Welcome. I stumbled onto Daily Beans while looking for coverage on things that matter a few weeks ago. And I'm so grateful for all the work that y'all do. Good news. Heidi, my sister and her spouse, Levi, serve as Dr. Claus and Trans Santa. Oh, my God. I love this. They bring joy, comfort and cheer at no cost to event hosts. They're compassionate, generous and authentic. Trans Santa and Dr. Claus are among the Santas featured in Santa Camp that drops on November 17th. Oh, my God. Ah, the trailer was released yesterday. and chokes me up. Representation matters. I'm so delighted their story and others are being shared. They are on the attached movie poster, Dr. Claus in the green and Trans Santa opposite her. Oh, my God. Brie, thank you so much to bringing this light on the beans. Oh, my God. Uh, this is incredible. This is your sister and her spouse. Megan Kelly's brain is going to explode. <laughs> <laughs> There's a black Trans Santa. <laughs> 
This is so fucking fabulous. It's on HBO Max. It's called Santa Camp. Everybody Uh-oh. has to watch it. Starts Fuck, this is so good. Streaming November 17th. My God. How cool. Brie, thank Put you for this. Right into my veins. All right. This next one's from Diane. Pronouns she and her. Hello, ladies. I discovered you lovely sometime earlier this summer, and you helped me do something I've been advocating for a couple of years. Sit with things that make me uncomfortable. See, I had a pretty conservative upbringing. Yep. The kind that votes for angry, insecure orange people without hesitation or reservation. Well, they fucked with me. Nothing was going to make me drink that poison Kool-Aid. But there was still that stupid voice of upbringing's past that would try to make me uncomfortable with the amazing decision to fucking think for myself and all the things that come with it. Then came you. I'd listen. Knew me, was absolutely delighted from the start. But stick butt me, oh my God, how funny, but stick butt me was absolutely not. With time, we have successfully quieted that bitch. Oh my God, Diane, this is one of my favorite submissions. She's never fully gone, but has much less bite and is easily silenced with minimal effort. You ladies helped me get through two and a third surgeries in almost as many months with my 17-year-old. Long story that involves sports, testosterone overload, and me doing my best impression of that teeny tiny cartoon character trying to stop a huge character oh my god two and a third surgeries because i was too fried and tired to follow anything requiring a brain so i opted for pixar's turning red instead i love this <laughs> for tax I, gi- I i know for tax i give you my beautiful and creative daughter she drew this picture and informed me it was going to be her halloween costume somehow with the help of my mother we made it happen her brother would not let me dress him up as an old man, position him on the front porch, and have him throw candy at kids yelling, Get off my lawn! But guess we don't get it, but I guess we don't get everything we want, do we? I hope it was Werther's. Oh my oh, god. Oh, look at this beautiful I love it. Painting. So good. And the costume is amazing. That is amazing. Oh, that's perfect. That's so lovely. What a wonderful submission. Thank you so much. I'm so glad that we found each other, Diane. I appreciate that entry. So I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Thank you. Next up from anonymous pronouns, she and her. No, I know I've sent in pics before along with good news, but this time I had to send this Halloween pet pics from my good friends. Maisie as anger from inside out. Her people were dressed up as joy and fear as they handed out gobs of candy. Oh, I love this. Look at this dog. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) It's just so good. I backed away from the mic on that one. I hope it works. (laughs) Oh my God, that's great. You want to take this next one? That was pretty short, AG. Yeah, I'll take this one too. Anonymous is fine. I apologize for not sending this in a more timely manner. I listened to your recent episode, Guinea Pig in a Blanket, and I was surprised by the title. I assume nobody else has a quirky animal like my own Harold. Uh, He got to be about eight and a half years old, which I assumed was a pretty good job with a guinea pig's normal life expectancy being four to seven years. It's definitely a lot longer than we were expecting when we rescued him from his former owner. In any case, we set him up with a little sleeping bag to help make sure he was keeping warm in our cooler climate. I made sure to attach an additional picture of him outside his little bed. He was having some problems with his feet at the end of his life, so he had a little, he had little blue booties on to keep him from rubbing off his medicine. Oh, Despite his health failing him at the at some at the end, his passion for carrots stayed with him and likely buoyed him to his final day. I hope everyone has a great day. Look at the pig in the blank. I know, little guinea piggy with his feet. Little booty. So sweet. 
Thank you for that. Indeed. All right. This is also from Anonymous. The pronouns are he and him. I'm a park ranger in the Southwest U.S. and recently applied for a grant for inclusive storytelling in our national parks. My park is located within a Native American reservation. And for countless decades, this group wasn't even represented in the park that it is on their ancestral lands. Over the last 20 years or so, they've been a shift in that representation. But the stories told are so often whitewashed. Now, with the nearly $100,000 that was awarded in this grant, Ugh. we'll be able to hire additional staff to assist a tribal spiritual leader on our ranger staff in researching the Indian boarding schools that this Native group were sent to in the 1900s. The ranger leading this charge was sent to a boarding school when he was a child. We'll be producing programs that share this often uncomfortable and undertold story and bring it to the forefront, not shying away from the brutality many people faced. There are many dark patches in the government, but it's reassuring to know good work can still be done and the public can, hopefully, learn and benefit from it. Oh, man, I'm I'm very curious to know what park this is. Um, Same. You know, I, yeah, I grew up in the Southwest and so did you. Yeah. And we have, there's still to this day, in fact, it's the street that the VA is on, that the Veterans Affairs, the hospital is on in Phoenix, is called Indian School Road. And it needs to be changed. They changed the Squaw Peak Parkway and everything named Squaw because that is a very awful, horrible term. So it's like Paestua now. But they still they still haven't changed that. And I and it's it's infuriating to me. I mean, we didn't get Martin Luther King Day till like 2006. So I guess I'm not surprised. Yeah. But um, I would be really interested to know what this is. And congratulations. One hundred thousand dollar grant to do this. This is incredible work. This is so amazing. I love it. I know. I, I love this so keep much. Keep sharing. Keep sharing, too. Yeah. And, and if you want me to to send out more information about these programs when they start, please send it in. I'd be happy to amplify that. That's so important. The storytelling is incredibly necessary. All right. You want to take this last one and close us out? Yeah, I'll close us out. From Leanne, pronouns she and her. You ladies are truly the best. Thanks for keeping up with the news so we don't have to. Here are our Halloween pictures. Notice how our four-month-old puppy smiled better than our boys. <laughs> Little brother was just shouting trick-or-treat at the top of his lungs while still standing on our front porch. Oh, my God. This dog, <laughs> I do not let me near it. I will steal it. Oh, hopefully no one steals this dog. I would steal a dog like this because <laughs> it's the cutest. It's the cutest. It's like a Labradoodle. It is adorable. Is this a puppy? Look at the third, the last picture. Oh, my God. A.G. It's the softest dog on the planet. It easily, easily the softest dog on the planet. It's oh a puppy. Okay, God. so this is, yeah, this has to be a little doodle of some kind, I right? would think so, yeah. Usually that's what they their their fur looks like. It, it oh does look God. like a labradoodle. And they're like hypoallergenic. They're like the perfect things. Oh, It's like a giant, it's like, it's like a, it's a, like a living gunned stuffed animal. Like that's what yeah. it is. Absolutely. It's a, it's a living whoopee. Oh God, so cute. Look at Woody just yelling trick or treat, not smiling for the camera. Just, just screaming trick or treat. And then, oh my God. And, and is that, oh, is that Cobra? What? Do you know that costume? Um, Cause it looks like a knight, but then there's a Cobra. So it's like, Hmm. I don't. It's awesome. Yeah. These are, these are adorable children. Like one more time. Hmm. There's Woody and oh wait, are we d- the kids? Mm-hmm. Uh, is that Jaf- is that Jafar? I don't. Let's see. Let's see. Let's let's Google Jafar because Jafar turns into that snake in Aladdin. Let's see. 
Let's see what he looks like. Let's see if he's got that on his. Enter. Oh, he doesn't have a cobra on him, but it looks like it could be. I would have a parrot on my shoulder if I were being Jafar. Yeah. Anyway, that's yeah, fantastic. Awesome. Yeah. So if you, you're welcome to tell us too, but I love this. I love the Woody. Oh my God. So cute. Yes. Send us in the tell us, send us and tell us. Correct. Correct us. Like when I didn't know Stormbreaker was Thor's or yeah, Thor's hammer. Yeah. I, yeah. No, no. Axe. <laughs> I was like, oh God, here we go. Axe. <laughs> this, is, this is how bad I am. I don't know. I'm just not up. Like seriously, um, seventh grade was the last time I read up on all that stuff. I haven't seen any of the movies. I will, though. I promise. As soon as I get some free time. Dana, do you have any final thoughts? Um, I don't. Oh, maybe he's Cobra Kai. I was wondering if he was Cobra Kai, but maybe why he's, a hood? Yeah, I don't. I don't. I Well, because I think it's like a like a thing that they fight in. I, I don't know. We, like who a, knows? Well, that's the first thing that came to my head was Cobra Kai, like the new. Yeah, the series. new Cobra Kai. Right. Yeah. So let's see if there's anything that looks like that. Anyway. Kind of looks like, yeah, maybe it's just Cobra Kai and I would have been right if I just would have said it. I know. But you know what? My whole Disney thing with Jafar was not a bad guess. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It I mean, was it's not. an old guess, but it's not a bad guess. All right. Oh. Do I have any final thoughts? No, I don't. All right. Well, everybody, I will be back uh, this weekend with the bonus episode for patrons for the Daily Beans and our first bonus episode for Cleanup on Aisle 45. For Cleanup on Aisle 45, patrons at the $2 level or higher comes out. Uh, I think today or tomorrow. And of course, Dana, are are you traveling this weekend or are you going to be back with us Monday morning? I should be back with you Monday morning. All right. Well, I'll see you then, my friend. Everybody, until then, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Vote blue over Q. And take as many people as you can with you. (laughs) I've been AG. And I've been DG. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media.